You are listening to the Enormo cast. So what's your tired excuse for not wearing a helmet? Too heavy? Not anymore. Too hot? You literally wear a beanie in your sweltering climbing gym, bro. Too dumb looking? Well, you might have me there. But you know what else is dumb looking? A cracked skull. So yes, 25 years ago, all those excuses might have had legs, but Black Diamond's modern helmets shut them all down. The Vapor, Vector, or Vision are all great lightweight foam helmets that do what modern helmets should do, which is make you forget they're even on your head. And if foam feels too flimsy, check out the more traditional full plastic and suspension half dome. No matter which you choose, they all sport sleek headlamp clips, UIA rated protection, and a price point one one thousandth of your average head trauma surgery. But listen, the Royal We at the Enormous Cast really just want you to consider getting your freaking brain wrapped in a helmet. And while we'd love for you to support Black Diamond, frankly, there's a lot of great lightweight helmets out there and it's time to reconsider your prejudices for the old brain bucket. Even when you're, quote, just sport climbing. So support the Enormacast by checking out Black Diamond's line of modern helmets at blackdiamondequipment.com or your local shop. But if you don't find what you like there, look around. And please, get your brain behind some foam and plastic before it's too late. In this time of pestilence, do you want to reach out to your friends, loved ones, and climbing partners with more than an anxious DM sent while slurping a soggy bowl of Captain Crunch at 2 a.m.? Then why don't you hit up friend of the show, Peter W. Gilroy, and send those socially distanced friends a climbing or mountain-inspired piece of handcrafted jewelry, or maybe one of his famous titanium-tricked-out trucker caps. Yes, titanium on a hat, people. Unique jewelry, hats, money clips, belt buckles, and more amazing accessories can be had with a discount and the bonus of supporting the Enormacast. So why don't you cheer up your pals with a nice surprise that won't glitch and freeze in the middle like an annoying Zoom conversation and go to peterwgilroy.com or splitter-designs.com to check out the wares of a great artist and also a climber just like you. And enter Enormo at checkout for the hookup. Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? Are you playing here? We're doing the uh, Enormo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big house. place. That's, out. Out. That's a big nice. place. You sold it's it out. Out. I'll see. You really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed climbing them with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment with support from Maxim Ropes and the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Enormacast. This is your host, Chris Kalous. It is September 16th, 2020, about 10 o'clock here in Colorado, and this is episode 205 of the Enormacast. Still season one, by the way. And on today's show, we have climber, musician, guide, 
Alexis Krause. Another little curveball for most of you, I would imagine, not knowing who Alexis Krause is, but uh, we'll get to that in just a little bit. And uh, this is another Breath of Fresh Air interview, like the last one with uh, Favia Dubik. And uh, I'm trying to trying to pull those out, you know, not talk about the uh, the doom and gloom. And so we're not even going to talk about it. We're not going to talk about, you know, that we're in the prelude to the to the road by Cormac McCarthy. We're not going to talk about that because you know what? I haven't even heard anything about cannibalism yet. Nothing, not a word. So we're fine. We are fine. And besides, if the cannibals do show up, we're climbers. We're stringy. You know, we're like just not good eating. So we're going to be fine. No problem. So what's going on in Normacast land? Nothing. Nada. Just uh, just getting the interviews and putting them out. Just trying to uh, keep this thing rolling through the times. Been sort of dialing in the uh, the remote thing. Um, we got good sound on this one. Alexis is a musician, and so she was ready to rock and roll with some uh, decent mics on her end. And uh, turned out pretty nice. So since there is no business... Let's just get to uh, the interview with Alexis Krauss. Alexis Krauss is one half of a band called Sleigh Bells. Who's Sleigh Bells? Well, here's a moment of Sleigh Bells for you. Let me just drop you in the middle here somewhere. Let's see. That's some rock and roll right there. Nothing is wrong with your speakers, by the way. Alexis came on my radar when her now fiance emailed me a couple few years ago and suggested I talk to her. And she's out in New York, New York State, upstate a little bit. And, uh, you know, I thought, yeah, if I ever get out there, you know, do the thing with the Norma Cash, show up, sit down. But then as soon as I started to kind of get a feel for what this meant that I could call anybody and we could hook up anybody anywhere in the world... I started going back through the Rolodex, if you will, and thinking about some of these people. And I've also been trying to uh, have a lot of women on the show just for the heck of it. Since, again, I can choose who I talk to, might as well stack that up a little bit since that's one of the first sort of diversity problems with the Enormacast is a lot of dudes. So, uh, yeah, putting more women on when I have a chance. And um, as many of you know, I'm a musician as well, kind of a hack amateur musician, but if you didn't know this, the intro and outro songs are both from an old band of mine. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of the weird little blippy music that goes in here is something that I put together. So I was super excited. I'm always excited to talk to the musician types. And somebody as successful as Alexis Krauss is really someone who's going to be fascinating to me. I definitely had to, like, pull myself away to talk about climbing. Um, I could have spent two, three, four hours just, like, quizzing her about gigs and shows and how they make their music and their partnership between her and her bandmate and uh, all that stuff, which we got into. But we also talked a bit about climbing uh, as well as some advocacy that Alexis does. It was just such a pleasure to sit down and talk with her. And uh, I hope you guys enjoy this and get to know her. And since we're going to go out on one of Sleigh Bell's tunes, the rest of the song that I just played Instead of having an outro, I want to mention now that if you want to get into uh, supporting Young Women Who Crush, which we're about to talk about in this interview, if you think of it at the end of it, uh, you can go to Instagram and check out Young Women Who Crush on Instagram and uh, go through their link on their profile to see how you can help out with that. 
which is something that Alexis has been doing for a couple of years uh, and bringing young women from the city out to learn how to rock climb, bring them into the gym first and then and then head out. And it's been uh, very successful and we get into it and something that's ongoing. So it's a sweet spot in this diversity charge that we are on, bringing those ladies out into the outdoors and to do something that they'd never thought was possible. Uh, could bring uh, some new climbers into the fold and that's what we're looking for. So Support that over there. Also, of course, when you're done with this thing, go on the deep dive into Sleigh Bells. I think there's five albums, lots of videos, lots of live performances. And uh, once you hear this interview and you go back and try to square that with uh, this woman you see on stage on those things, it's uh, it's a lot of fun, actually. <laughs> Not easy to do. Not easy to square them up. But, uh, but, they, but they fit. They fit somehow. So... And we kind of start here in the middle of a story about uh, Buddy Nielsen of Census Fail, who I interviewed a few years ago. Also a very successful musician, rock and roll guy who climbs. So this was related, and we ended up talking about that and just kind of rolling into the interview. So yeah, let's check it out. A very enjoyable talk, very uplifting talk with Alexis Krauss. The truth is that climbers live their lives off the rocks in approach shoes. Part comfort, part performance, part signaling to that lady across from you on the bus that you and the crazy free solo guy are essentially cut from the same cloth. That's right, lady on your way to Target. Don't you know I'm loco? That's why Sportiva has invented the most versatile approach shoe yet, the TX Guide. Sprinkling in DNA from their acclaimed running shoes, brilliant climbing shoes, and the legendary TX line, the TX guide for women and men can run to the climb, climb the climb, bash down the climb, all in time to climb into your stool on the patio of your local brew pub. So if you want to walk both streets and trails like a golden climbing deity, check out all of Sportiva's approach shoes at sportiva.com or your favorite local shop. So yeah, he he was all excited, and I actually drove. They had a gig. This was when people were gigging still, but um, in Denver, and drove down and talked to him backstage. So I felt like a full on like, you know, rock reporter kind of dude, like uh, almost famous kind of thing. So definitely, yeah, that was bring pretty it, fun. Bringing the enormal cast to the the yucky dressing room. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's funny because room. I've always had that dream. Um, that's been my like alternate universe dream. Yeah, has been to um play music and i have i mean i played in bars and like that level of music for Mm -hmm. for a long time i mean i took a break when i was on the road climbing a lot but since i've lived here i've been in a couple different bands that played for years yeah did the whole thing and like did the little sort of van tour around colorado or like you know those are the best but well and you you're right around the corner from steve's guitars because you're are you in carbondale i'm literally right around the corner you're right around the corner right now actually such a good spot i'm in the same building um, my my w- wife, air quotes because we're not married, but uh-huh. her, she this is her office. It's in the same building, so That's yeah, amazing. Steve's is like through the floor, just that direction over That's there. That's so cool. And you've, have you played Steve's? No, we ha- Sleigh Bells hasn't played Steve's, but I was out in Carbondale. Was it two years ago for the No Man's Land Film Festival? Mm. 
And uh, that's that was right. Actually, I know that you were here because I, yeah. that was another time where I thought about the email that I'd gotten. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. No, no. Yeah. So I was, I was there and I did like a little DJ set there and it was rad, just cool dance party. And, um, but that venue just, uh, it was like, I would, I would love to go back and, and, and play a set there. I mean, it would be loud. I know, because I've watched all these videos, right? <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, yeah, they'd be, like, you know, there's single pane windows yeah. too. It's like, yeah. you'd be rattling the hell out of that place. But yeah. Um, yeah, I love Steve. He's like the greatest guy, but I've done, I've sort of performed there in many different ways. Sure. And uh, he can be very frustrating too. <laughs> like just the way he runs the show over there, you yeah. know, like you can show up and nobody's there and like, you know, I'm turning on all the equipment myself right. and like trying to figure out right. how stuff's run and like. Oh yeah, it was like that when okay. when I, I showed up you. for the DJ set. <laughs> I mean, because you know, No Man's Land is like Asia and Kathy are are incredible, but it's it's a true like do it yourself. Yeah, by the seat of their pants, kind of. Oh yeah. yeah. And so you know, they were out doing something, and we, Chris and I, showed up, and and I was like, okay, there's no one here, and so I was kind of you know looking at the booth, and, and oh, and we actually stayed there that night. We stayed. um we stayed upstairs. So we were like trying to find our room and like, trying to figure out where the cables were. And then yeah. he, he came in and I mean, awesome guy, but yeah, it was, it was like, he was, oh, yeah. he was pretty baked and just like, <laughs> Oh yeah. It's so funny because it's the, uh, the, you just described like several of my, and I live here and I know the guy right. and he just is like, yeah, I'm not going to be there. I'll, yeah. you know, whatever you yeah. said, you're going to be here. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, like, exactly. Anyhow, that's super funny. I didn't know that people actually stayed there. I didn't know he put bands up there. I don't I know if it's something yeah. that he normally does, Probably. but it was, I mean, it was, it was certainly set up and I just remember it was like, it was pretty, pretty wild up there. Like weird purple plush things, mm -hmm. lots of like lava lamps and, and cool posters and records just everywhere. So. Yeah. yeah no, it's a, I mean, he draws people in like sort of way below their pay grade um, right. that come in and play that place, you know, like, but um, that's, and it, it's, but he's got like the lure and it's a cool spot and Carbondale's awesome too. So, yeah, no, he's, I mean, I would, I would definitely go back there and we, I can't remember the name of the venue. We've played it a few times. It's in Aspen. Belly um, up. Belly up. Yeah. yeah. And like bands will travel from all over the place to play belly up. Uh -huh. Um, and we didn't even really know about Steve's, but now if we can ever tour again, I would love to like play belly up and then do another show at, at Steve's. And yeah. Well, you seem like the, the, we're recording this by the way. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. It seems like the, the, the band Sleigh Bells, you know, I, I've, I've, um, did the, the YouTube rabbit hole. That's just terrifying. Um, I've done like but... a thousand. What's that? <laughs> I said, but that's terrifying, but continue. It's incredible <laughs> actually. And you know, and it's funny because I like my running joke about doing no research does not apply to you because, um, a, you sent me some cool information and, and, uh, some videos to watch about some climbing, but also, you know, then I just went down this, this rabbit hole to watch your videos. And then I was like, well, what do they do live? Because yeah. I was like, this is, you know, this is a band. It sounds like a studio thing, you know, that's like a lot of electronic uh, sounds, the drums and everything. And so I was like, okay, what do they do live? And then I saw you guys do, you know, you had a horn section in one, at one time. At one time, it was just the two of you. And then sometimes there was like another guitar player. And sometimes there was like another, or a bass player or something, you know. So it seems like you have a versatility with what you uh, do that you could probably like, drop it into an acoustic show somehow 
we've never done an acoustic show we've never done go. any sort of like stripped down um i think we did one session once for like the bbc but uh we've never done an acoustic set i don't know i have mixed feelings about it like i think some songs would would be conducive to that and it would be novel for a bit but but yeah i mean you're right we have we have played it's in the beginning it was just derek and i with an ipod <laughs> that's how unprepared we were um and a lot of people were just like this is this is fucking karaoke what is this um and so then we started running our our beats and everything through um through a laptop and through logic and and got a little more advanced and then finally we were able to uh, assemble an incredible crew and so then we had like a tech that was supporting us with ableton and and um but yeah it's been derek and i and then a lot of times we'll play with another guitarist uh um, mm-hmm. either our buddies jason or ryan we did tour with the drummer an amazing drummer chris maggio for a year or two um and then we kind of went back to just being the two of us so we're flexible in that sense and i think yeah we've we've like you know the live tv thing is always hard for our band because um so much of the experience of a live show is with us is just very visceral. It's very loud. There's a lot of distortion. And so conveying that through a live audio feed has been tricky. So things like the horn section and the backup singers are definitely things that we've, we've brought to like the live TV vibe that we normally don't do. I mean, right. I would love to tour with the horn section, but we could not afford it. Um, but yeah. maybe one Besides day. Besides this, too, it's like, I'm so envious. Um, I mean, I've had bands, even just local bands that have five, six, sometimes seven people. I had a band for like 10 years with a horn section. Yeah. And uh, it's a huge pain in the ass. And I'm always envious of like, oh, there are two people. Like, how easy is that? Like, it's true. You know, like I watch, I've been watching um, is, uh, Sophie Tucker. Mm-hmm. The, they're doing their, been doing their live feeds. Yeah. Like for hundreds of days now. Um, yeah. You know, and I I dip in every once in a while and they like seem to get along so well and everything else. But I'm always like, it can't always be like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, Derek and I, it's it's great that there are so, that's just the two of us. Um, it makes decision making pretty easy. I mean, him and I, we're like brother and sister. I mean, we, we go at it for sure. Mm-hmm. And when we disagree, we disagree. But for the most part, we're very aligned, especially creatively, and we both treat people the same way, especially on tour, and just kind of have, I don't know, it's, it's always been very easy to coexist on tour with him um, and to make creative decisions. And and yeah, the fact that the conversation is generally between him and myself and our manager or somebody mm-hmm. else on our team. Um, but then there are also times I'm like, oh my gosh, if I could just have like somebody backing me up right now, and I'm sure he's felt the same way. Right. Right. Like you turn to the other right. bandmates, you're like, like somebody, you, please. You guys anybody. are. Oh, there is no one here. Yeah. It's just me. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> that's totally true. Because when there are conflicts, you re- you like recruit. Like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, Mark's with me. He mm-hmm. understands where I'm coming from. Who else? Anyone else in the yeah. band going to come onto my side, which is even more unhealthy. And right. I'm, and I know about it as like, again, a dude who plays bars in the Aspen Valley, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, it yeah. is cool that we've both played the belly up though. Yeah. Belly up. Yeah. Belly up is a crazy venue. I remember the first time we played there, it was before I was climbing. It was before I had any experience with being at altitude. Oh, geez. Um, That's actually I, a big problem there. Yeah. And I just, you know, and I like they had the they have the O2 tank like hanging out. Right. There's like there's like no backstage there. It's around the back of the building. So you're just hanging out like in the little wing there and there's a bathroom. 
And then there's like this huge oxygen tank just right there. And I was like, what, what, what is that? Um, because I just, I don't know. I was naive at that point. Um, and we had come from Salt Lake City, I think. And uh, yeah, I remember getting like 30 seconds in and I, I'm a very physical performer and I, there's like a lot of headbanging and jumping and screaming. And I remember like coming up like mid like headbang and just like gasping for breath somehow made it through without oxygen. But then every other time that we've played there, I'm like, you know what? Why not? Like, I'm just going to take a couple breaths off of this and it helps. It definitely helps. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's funny. I was, I've always wondered how they treat actual like professional bands because they treat local bands like shit. Uh, um, yeah, so, so the fact that no one ever bothered to maybe mention the oxygen to you as like an option is probably <laughs> just part of the whole vibe there. I don't know because I've, I've like, we used to call it the prom queen because we'd always like really want to play there. Yeah. And you know, cause it's an amazing, I mean, it's like the sound system there belongs in like, you know, a 2000 seat club. Like for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like an awesome, and you get a light show and you get the whole thing. And it's, yeah. And then every time we go up there, first of all, it's Aspen, which is, I think a difficult town to play. You think? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, <laughs> it compared like Carmen was a great live music town. Like, yeah. cause you're the only thing in town. So people come out, but, um, yeah. And every time I've done it, I'm just like, God, these these people <laughs> treat us like crap. Like, you know, just we were lucky to even get that room, like right. the, the one off the stage, right. let alone let us into the damn green room, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, that's, yeah, that's unfortunate. I mean, it's I a will sick say club, though. it's a cool club and it's <laughs> yeah. intimidating, like the amount of people who have played there. Um, mm-hmm. And you're right. The, the PA there and the subs are unbelievable. Right. If you can I'm get sure people off their asses from the pub right. tables to actually come down and dance, though, yeah. that's the problem. But we have like our past, I think our last show there was rad. We had like enough kids, I guess, in that area knew mm-hmm. about us and they knew they were out to like dance and, and hang out and not like eat a cheeseburger while drinking a whiskey and Coke or something. Um, right. But the guy who cooks, I can't remember his name, but he makes amazing food. He like went out of his way to make this like beautiful vegetarian curry last time we were there. And like, that was actually amazing. That is totally true. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And he's like actually like leaning out that window there, like making sure. Exactly. Like he's telling you things that other people should be telling you. Yeah. Um, Exactly. Yeah. No, he's super awesome. And actually the curry, that must be his band thing. (laughs) Okay. Because we had the curry too last time I played there. And last time I played there, it was, it was a, 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 we we actually got to use the green room. So it kind of cleared up some of my like vibe, but I went, you know, I went like a whole decade of, occasional gigs there where i was just right. like, this place yeah but um but it yeah. is it is an amazing club um you mentioned climbing a second ago sure climbing so um and i want to i'm you know i'm gonna I, i'm gonna like keep dragging you back to this that's again, fine because you you've lived my alternate fantasy like <laughs> if you know if you could trade climbing for one thing you know i'd be like oh i would be a bass player and like you know i don't know which band but that's what i would do i'd, I'd yeah. tour the world as like Taylor Swift's bass player or something like that. So yeah, it, it's like a fantasy. I've dabbled with it. I've like, again, I've gone on the tours. I've, sh- I've denied a couple things that, you know, would have gone a slightly bigger maybe, but yeah. Um, but let's talk a little bit about the climbing. It's, it sounds like it's a more recent thing for you. Um, Cause you said you were not a climber when you came to Aspen and when yeah. did sleigh bells kick off? Uh, sleigh bells kicked off in 2009. Yeah. And cool. we started playing shows in 2010 uh cool let, let me also i gotta backtrack to the iPod, ipod thing yeah um that is so cool 
And that like, I remember so like a lot of people doing that actually, because it was like yeah. a cheap option. Totally. And, and the fact that you soldiered through that era of your career, if you call it that at that mm-hmm. time, um, to become, you know, something as big as it's become is pretty awesome because, you know, those glitchy shows where your iPad doesn't or you're not your, your iPod doesn't work right. And it's yeah. like terrifying and like oh my gosh there was to get through that zone is amazing actually yeah we got through it there would be there was always the dreaded when he would mouth talk to me because we would just like the ipod would just like the subwoofer would be so aggressive that it would like rattle something in the ipod and it would skip and just and so like there would be a malfunction and derek would just look at me like and just go talk and i would just be like all right now it's my time to just like ad lib with the audience and uh, and then we started i think we were on tour in the uk and we started taking pieces of foam and like wrapping the ipod with foam and like gaff tape um i think one time we had like a banana or like two bananas and we like put it with like the foam and the banana so just jackassery are you kidding um, me you should have taken a picture of that, and that could have been an album cover. I think there right is a there. photo of that. Okay, maybe good. if I can, maybe I can dig that up, and I'll send it to you. <laughs> that sounds um, like the cover of like a Beastie Boys album, though. Yeah, like that picture. But yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we were truly a band that came out of like the DIY blog culture of the early 2000s. Right. Um, And Derek had been a touring musician for a long time. He was in a hardcore band called Poison the Well. So he had had extensive touring experience. And I had... Yeah, because he shreds. Yeah, yeah. He's... Well, you know, he's... He's less of a shredder than Ryan Primack, who is the other Other, guitarist and who actually plays with us. But yeah. It's because he's running that like Jackson or whatever. Totally. Totally. And he, I mean, don't get me wrong. He can't, he can tread. He can (laughs) tread. Um, But yeah, it, so when we started playing, at least as Sleigh Bells, even though Derek and I both had a lot of experience performing, um, it was just us. Like you mentioned those van tours, right? It was, it was us and our manager who was Derek's best friend from childhood. So it was Will and Derek and I in a van, you know, with a guitar and a Marshall cab um, and, you know, a couple vocal pedals and our, our iPod. And we just started getting a lot of press. And so we got booked for these tours, mostly, you know, opening for people and then doing some of our own stuff. And, you know, I mean, we just didn't know anything. We didn't have any money. Um, and so we didn't have a drummer. Uh, and that's that's how we did it until it just became like a bit embarrassing because we did get booked for like South by Southwest. And like all of a sudden we were in front of audiences that were scrutinizing us and judging us and we were humiliating ourselves. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) apparently Um, not enough to make people not want to have you come and play. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. We just scrape by somehow. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, but it was a blast. I mean, it was a blast. I, you know, playing some of those small clubs and sweaty venues. I mean, that's still my favorite thing about performing is like performing in super intimate clubs where you just have that like palpable connection with the crowd. And um, I would, I would, I would sacrifice a good PA and like being able to hear myself for great energy in a room. Mm-hmm. Um, so, which yeah. is what you have to do like ninety nine point nine percent of the time. Yeah. When you're when yeah, you're playing on that level of touring, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, come on, 
Exactly. No one can hear anything. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it, it, I, we started talking about climbing and then I sucked you back no, in no, no, the, yeah. to the thing. Cause I'm just like, you, no one can see me, but I'm like <laughs> so excited to talk about this stuff. Cause I'm just like, oh man, a club in like Manchester. Like, how cool would that be? Like, yeah. you know, it's a yeah. dark, dank place, you know, that freaking. You think dressing like, rooms in the US are bad? Go to Manchester. Yeah, I bet. Oh, yeah. In I the bet. winter. It's pretty That's rough. what I'm talking about. Though. But amazing. That's what I wanted to do. I Jeez. wanted to lay in the muck. Yeah, warm beer and just the smell of piss. Yeah. Oh, yeah. love. Don't, don't, don't even think about it, love. Right. So, uh, cool. All right. Well, back to the climbing. So, cool. um, you, you, you seem to have found it after this. And um, when I was thinking about framing this thing, I kind of just like, you know, I started to see these facets of your life. And the thing that became interesting to me and what I kind of want to hear about is the integration of them. Because... Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, I know from even just playing again music here in Colorado in bars is that like I could blow my whole weekend after if I had a gig because I wasn't going to get up and go climbing the next day kind right. of thing. And, and it actually, right. I've, I've, you know, it's been a conflict even at that level. And then there's the, the you know, this, this place you came from, which was teaching fourth graders, which we haven't <laughs> even talked about yet. So tell me about the climbing and how that appeared. Yeah in the midst of uh of being a professional musician in this in this band absolutely um i started climbing when i was on tour actually and my best friend nora and her now husband they live in the bay area and so her husband diego had started climbing and had been out to yosemite a few times and had a a great mentor um and then was taking nora out And so Nora was just falling in love with with climbing. And I was at that point, I had started um, started exploring the mountains of New York a bit more because I grew up in New Jersey and I grew up on the ocean. It was all about the ocean. And my family didn't camp. My family didn't know what rock climbing was. We were an adventurous family, especially my mom and I. But we were not like a outdoor recreation family. Like we had no awareness of of that. Uh, and certainly no awareness of the gunks or the Adirondacks or anything. So around that time, I was touring heavily. And then when I would be off tour, um, I had just gotten a dog and we were taking her on hikes and we were starting to explore the Shawan gunks and starting to like scramble and and just like start, you know, discovering um, how beautiful New York State is. And so it was like the combination of like having my dog and getting out on trail. And then Nora started climbing on the West coast. Um, and then on tour, I had a day or two off and she took me climbing at one of the local Bay area climbing gyms. And, uh, I was just, I was like, this is, this is great. I love this. And then I came back through town shortly thereafter. And this was like 2013, I believe. And we were touring, I think it was bitter rivals, which was our third album. Um, and they brought me to Mount Diablo right outside of, of Oakland. And, you know, we did like three single pitch routes and it just like blew my mind wide open. It was this culmination of everything I had ever wanted to experience in nature. And I was hooked. I was completely hooked. And uh, I got home from tour and fortuitously there was a climbing gym that had just opened um in long island city called the cliffs and i would bike there from greenpoint brooklyn um and i just started climbing all as much as i could in the gym and 
because I had been outside, all I wanted to do was get outside. So I was like, I'm going to figure out whatever I can to get myself climbing outside. But I didn't know any climbers. I didn't have a mentor. I, I like to think that I didn't do anything too stupid. Like I was fully aware that I needed to like work through certain steps in order to get myself to be outside. But yeah, that, so that was 2013 and, um, yeah, I've been obsessed ever since. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And yeah. it, the thing that you just like dropped in there that was so, that like made, made gave me goosebumps was like, oh, that was our third album. Oh, I'm just like, <laughs> so cool you have a bunch of albums um <laughs> but yeah so so you, you at that point i mean you know i think there's this like uh vision that as soon as you know you see a live band doing a certain level of something that they're rich and famous at that point and um which <laughs> no. is i ha- you know i happen to know that that is not true and is especially in you know uh the era we live in now which is you know no longer about any sort of album sales or anything like that. It's all just about touring, um, which is a hard life, you know, and uh, I don't know how you treated it in terms of, um, you know, any sort of partying or anything else, but it always makes me interested in, in how someone, you know, that's got that kind of schedule and everything sort of stays fit even for like an outdoor pursuit or a pursuit like that. Once you got really into climbing, did you find any sort of like, conflicts between the lifestyles or, or were you able no. to sort of find find enough time to climb to keep you happy yeah no i mean i am um i'm not sober but i am not a drinker i don't do drugs um i live a pretty clean lifestyle on, sure. on tour which is definitely like a juxtaposition from a lot of our band and crew but like before i was climbing I would wake up early. I would bring my bike on tour. I'd bring my dog on tour. So for me, tour was this incredible opportunity to like literally, especially once we started touring on a bus, because that changes everything because then then you're not driving all day in a van, right? Like you're actually driving overnight and then waking up in a new city, which is just phenomenal. And so we'd wake up at eight in the morning in Phoenix or, you know, Salt Lake city or wherever, Um, and it would be like, how can I hike? How can I adventure? How can I get the dog out? Like, how can I swim? Like, what can I do, uh, to enjoy the day? So I was generally like up early. Um, and then when I started climbing, it was like, okay, (laughs) like day off for sure. I'm climbing. Right. And I got, Mm -hmm. um, I got our tour manager, AJ and, uh, our front of house engineer, Patrick, who are two of my closest friends and they started climbing with me and they Uh fell in love with it. So, you know, it was like. I mean, I wasn't bringing a, a, a full rack on tour, but like, where's the closest sport crag? How can we get there? Can we Uber there? Do we have to rent a car? Like, how do we climb? Um, so in a weird way, like the only, the only conflict for me was like, okay, Alexis, like don't fuck up and get hurt. Right. Or like, mm-hmm. this is not the time to sprain your ankle or, or do anything. So we wouldn't embark on anything too serious. It um, seems like, all honesty, and you mentioned this earlier, like what you're doing on stage seems way more dangerous to, uh, to your to your limbs. Probably. Anyway, because you do yeah. not stand still on no, stage. No, so. I'm, I'm in the crowd. I'm on the crowd. I'm <laughs> yeah, yeah. on the barricade. I, I mean, I've fallen yeah. off stage before. And I, yeah, you're right. I mean, the time that I thought I was plenty of like, people in your business have done that, right? They fall off oh, of course. something and all that. Yeah. yeah. Dave Grohl comes to mind. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, his big chair that he toured in after <laughs> exactly. that. So exactly, yeah, yeah. So that's pretty funny. But I mean, I I get it. You're just like I I 
I owe this to my bandmates not to go out and get get wrecked. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um and my bandmate, like, he hates that I climb. I mean, he's he's supportive, but like to him, he's not a climber. And and mm-hmm. I'm sure you've experienced this plenty in your life, but like non-climbers in your life who just like do not understand what you're doing and how it's not anything but horrifyingly dangerous. Right, right. Um, right. You're, it's an undue risk that you're taking. Yeah. 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 But I mean, but yeah, climbing and touring were not mutually exclusive by any means. And mm-hmm. it was... um yeah, it's 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 a, been a, a great way as it's an outlet for me for sure, um, and just a way to like reconnect with nature when I'm on tour. Because as much as I love venues and being in clubs, I'm very much an outdoor person, and that's for me like that is my that is how I calm my anxiety. That's mm-hmm. how I deal with whatever emotional challenges I'm dealing with on tour. So just having that outlet was was really powerful. Well, let me ask you this about the um, sort of, you know, you've got your partner in the band who's, you know, doesn't have that much of a clue. You've probably tried to inform him about climbing and and what it all means. But, you know, you've got also like two very different communities, you know, especially I think it seems like, well, the image I have, right, is, and I've been watching your videos, you know, it's like you, it's everything like. I see, I look at your pictures of climbing and the videos of climbing. And then I see your videos of what you're doing on stage. And it's just like, holy cow, is that the same person? Like, you, it, it's really wild. And, and, um, you know, you're glammed out and, you know, full rocker wear. And I don't know if you're, if those are part wigs or extensions, no, it's, but you it's look all my own hair. Really? <laughs> yeah. How does it get? I mean, I'm looking at it right now. How does it get so straight? I mean, like, I haven't had my hair done. In, okay, yeah, all right, yeah, it's, all right. It's a We're in a time, pandemic. It's, hey, I forget. It's, it's a hair straightener, and okay, you know, cool. it's just. I mean, not, you know, when I post this episode, I'll certainly post a picture from from Slaybells. <laughs> but you know, it's like a, it's you know a completely divergent look. Anyway, yeah. Um, I once had just, uh, we were playing the Metro once in Chicago, um, and this was early on, and I had like a critic. He just gave us a terrible review. He hated our band. Um, and he called me like a demented Tiffany, which, uh, that, and then he like went on this whole just like rant about how I should be in like Pantene Pro V commercials and not performing because, you know, my hair was too shiny or something. So yeah, I, it's, but it's real. Right, right, right. <laughs> now the sort of indie rock critic scene. What a, oh yeah. Uh, it's gotta be the worst. Yeah, cantankerous <laughs> indie rock critics. I have friends that, cause I grew up in, in Libertyville, Illinois, so North Chicago. Uh huh. Friends that moved downtown to uh, to pursue music. Yeah. You know, I've stood at the Metro with my ears bleeding many times. Mm-hmm. Um, but Good yeah, thing. the whole indie rock critic thing. Anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so so what I was going to ask you is is sort of, um, you know, kind of navigating between the two communities. Yeah. Uh, now, you, now you're pretty uh, is, ensconced in, in the climbing community there up in the Hudson Valley is what you just told me, mm-hmm. um, living up by New Paltz. So, I mean, what are sort of your, your, I don't know, observations about the two worlds and what does it feel like to, to walk back and forth in between, you know, this kind of like full on stage promotional sort of scene of, of, uh, of, of playing live music? Because it's all about, you know, keeping your name out there going sure. and, you know, it's yeah. really great that you came on the Enormacast because I imagine maybe not right now, but. You know, interviews have to be this like kind of big drag on your on your free time. So I appreciate you coming in here. But 
Um, yeah. So what is it like to navigate the two, the two scenes and walk back and forth between them? Yeah. Um, you know, the climbing community has filled, I don't want to say it's filled a void because I don't want to make it sound like I wasn't fulfilled by music, but, um, but climbing for me kind of became obviously a, a personal self-indulgent selfish kind of outlet as climbing is for so many people right it's like why are we doing this we're doing it because it makes us feel incredible um but i was a teacher before i was in sleigh bells and climbing for me doesn't exist without like community and without education and without outreach and without kids and so the ways in which i've become most connected with the climbing community are through those spaces. And so climbing has kind of like, I was, I was really upset to leave teaching as much as I knew that I wanted to give Sleigh Bells a chance and that I, I really wanted to, you know, fully make the band my life. Um, I definitely left behind something really special to me when I left the classroom and so in a weird way, like getting to not just climb and have that personal escape and that personal quest for adventure and beauty and connection with the natural world, but to then be able to connect that with youth education and my own personal education and teaching and mentoring in the climbing community. It's like been this beautiful way to integrate what I love to do and also like go back to being an educator and going back to, you know, serving communities and in meaningful ways. So I feel like climbing just like made me complete. Um, right. And it, it, it distracted me from, you know, that the music industry is, uh, it's, it's such an egotistical in industry. Um, and there are a lot of people doing great work in music and music certainly does change lives. And, and we've had so many fans tell us like without this song or without this album or without this show, like I maybe wouldn't be here right now. So I don't want to um, downplay the role that music has as a powerful force for good in people's lives, but it can be a bit like empty on tour. Right. And, and, um, and finding purpose in music and especially now in this world of like shameless self-promotion with social media and the competition that exists with live streaming and getting playlists and all this. And there's a lot about the music industry that I just really despise. And um, and so the the climbing community just kind of balances that out for me, um, mm. which I mean, both are like pretty ego driven. So <laughs> So I, I know for some people they'll be like, what? But climbing is not exactly the most like altruistic thing to be doing. We haven't put the last piece of the puzzle in yet is why <laughs> it may seem that way. But let me wait to get to it because I want to I want to ask about a couple of things that you just said. You know, when you said being on tour is like empty uh, is really interesting because obviously that's, you know, that's the I mean, there's the what is it, the Bob Seger song, like turn the page. Right. Um, yeah. You know, it's like that's a theme of 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 that whole scene of this, like the thrill of stage and then these empty moments in between and how I mean, that's, right. you know, it, it destroys people like literally right. destroys them. Right. right. That's the the right. story of rock and roll. Um, you've you've obviously 
managed to keep a healthy avoidance of, of that feeling. But, um, you know, I was looking for this integration thing and, you know, you just answered that question of like how putting that in between these gigs and on these, on this tour, putting this outdoor outlet into your life. I mean, it's like, you could write a book about that, you know, how to survive, how to survive a tour, how to survive that kind of thing, because it seems ideal in, in so many ways to put that in there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all too easy. I think what you said, you know, you mentioned like you have this intense catharsis that lasts for like an hour, two hours every night. Right. And then the rest of your day and night is just like your night after is coming down from that and processing it all. And then the whole next day is just the expectation of doing it again. Um, And so it is this like very, you know, emotionally, um, chemically, right. You're just constantly dealing with these highs and then the come down and then being homesick and then dealing with whatever, you know, drama there is. Um, and, and we're pretty, we're pretty drama free, but it's tour. There's always drama. And, and yeah. And so then being outside and just touching rock and being so incredibly focused on that in that beautiful meditative way that climbing allows us to like focus, but yet completely check out was very healing, was very right. just like therapeutic for me. Um, and, and just fun. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I just, both climbing and music have just become such equally important, powerful forces in my life. Um, it's hard to like imagine one without the other at this point. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's, that's wild because, you know, you, you embarked on this sleigh bells thing and it grew. And, um, like you said, it was around your third album that you, that you uh, found climbing, um, which I think again, like sounds like perhaps, was ideal you know Mm -hmm. you 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 had the time and the dedication and the focus and it was the only thing in your life i would imagine because just knowing you know going from ipod to the next level to the next level i mean it 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 takes everything you have like it takes everything you have which is why most people don't make it right make it past the ipod uh (laughs) level um but then i think like you know it seems like that just arrived at the right time to where you know, honestly, like, let's talk about, you know, the um, behind the musics, right? You know, the, the VH1 behind the musics, like, yeah. right around the third album, like, shit goes haywire for like a lot of bands, you know? Yeah. Um, so, here's this thing that, that sort of comes into your life that allows you to create a balance. And the balance, the loss of balance seems to be the problem in the music industry, right? Sure. Um, where things go topsy-turvy at some point uh, for a lot of, lot of people even touring on the level that you guys were touring. So Yeah, um, and, and we also, I mean, I, I think there was, there was tour that introduced me to climbing, but it was also around the end of that album cycle for Bitter Rivals that we took the longest break that we had ever taken. Um, and we were actively writing and recording, but we were out in California for a little bit and just there was this big period of like, oh my gosh, we had just spent three years pretty much continuously on the road. And now we had this space and this time. And so climbing occupied a lot of that space and time. (laughs) Hold Uh, on a second. The sun is is blasting you. Hold on a second. It's coming. I'm like leaning further and further out of the camera. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I just got to slide over. Just a sec. 
it's actually cool here right now, but a couple, like two weeks ago, you would have saw me just like burst into flames Yeah, in that beam of sun. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was, it's actually it was pretty nice here um, this weekend. So, um, okay, wh- what were we, you were just, uh, I was just sorry, saying, we were getting no, deep no, and I just like I fully just, interrupted it. It's all good. No, I was just saying how like having some space from not being on tour, um, because right. we, we did take a big break. Um, and so that allowed me like that's when i started trad climbing mm-hmm. <laughs> right like that's when i was able to be like okay i can focus on on climbing in a way that i hadn't been able to before and also you know it's it's weird with music like when you're off the road and when you're off tour like you go through this you're like what am i doing like what am i doing with myself you know like i'm i'm not touring and and yes you're working on new music and you're writing and recording but like that's when i started really stepping up with like the outdoor education work. And cause I was like, I gotta, I gotta do something. Like I can't just be home. I have to like, I need to work. I have like a productivity problem where that's definitely like, I need to be doing something. Um, and so that was kind of how the, like the guiding happened and, and everything sort of, um, you know, and young woman who crush developed was with that time of, of being off, off tour because I, there's no way I would have been able to do it um, while touring so much. All right. Well, that's you just brought up the the puzzle piece that I was missing that I said we were missing is because okay. we hadn't brought it up yet. Um, and when you were talking about you know climbing being essentially egotistical um, as well as music, but you know once again it's like I don't know you have you have a lot in you in terms of it seems like whether you feel like it was random or not, but recognizing uh, a need in your life and and going out and fulfilling it because you did start uh, or co-found um, an organization that helps young women find climbing. So let's yeah. talk about that because it, it seems like that was sort of the final piece to um, to a balance, really. I mean, a three-part balance, if you will, but, but yeah. putting that in there. Yeah. Ah, uh, gosh. Um, young Women Who Crush was started in 2017 and um, – it was the result of um, I had I had been working with an like an outdoor guiding adventure company that was based in New York City, and we had a week called the Women in the Outdoors Week, which was raising awareness about women in the outdoors. And we had backpacking workshops, and we had um, trips, and then we had um, climbing events that were. Uh, in partnership with the cliffs, um, which was a community that I had gotten really involved with. And so we had a mentored climbing night that we put together where we just had a lot of like lady crushers in the community get together and people could sign up who weren't climbers or who were climbers, but were just looking for some mentorship and for some community building. Um, so we had this like one night of, of mentored women's climbing and the woman uh, at the cliffs who had founded this lady plus crushers group. Her name is Eva Kalea uh, and her and I, we just, we started communicating and working together and just the event went so well. And we really realized like, wow, there's a need for this mentorship model of climbing here. Like there's just so many people that they don't know how to find that community and they want to be climbing with other women. So even I started chatting about like, well, if this was so powerful for adults, like imagine how powerful this could be for youth. And um, so we 
started brainstorming and then uh, connected with Emily Verisco, who's our other co-founder. And Emily um, is actually from Colorado and she had been a competitive climber and had gotten into youth coaching. And so she was one of the head climbing coaches for their youth team at the cliffs. And so we brought Emily into the conversation. We're like, hey, you know, will you help us design a curriculum and let's take this event that we just did with women and bring it to New York City kids. And so through the company that I had been involved with as a guide, um, we had connections with New York City Public Schools. And so we reached out to one of our teachers. His name is Don Overly. He's an environmental science teacher at Central Park East High School in Harlem. And we were like, hey, Don, like, you know, we, we want to launch this this climbing program for girls. Like, would you mind if we came into the classroom and chatted with some of your students and gauge the interest? So the three of us went up to the school and he you know, told a bunch of his students about it. And we had this like meeting in the classroom or like rock climbing, you know, like you guys interested, you want to try it. And we got like six girls um, who were stoked. So we, you know, picked them up from school one day and, and rode the subway to the cliffs. And we had this mentored climbing session and it was just like, I don't know. It just was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had. Just bringing girls who, you know, had never experienced climbing, didn't know what climbing was, getting them into the gym, allowing, you know, the mentors to have this experience bonding with these mentees. And so it was supposed to just be a one-off night. And then after that, we were like, no, 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 this has to continue. So um, that year- Can, we can were, I interrupt you real yeah, quick? Yeah, please. What, what was your pitch like? What was her pitch? <laughs> to the girls. What was your pitch like? Like, what did you, I mean- you know, you have an ability, I think, to, 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 you know, to raise a crowd up. So you probably <laughs> used a little bit of that, but. I don't know if I, I can't remember uh, if I was more in like teacher mode or like. Right. Or, or, well, either uh, way, you were, you were, you had the skills. Yeah. No, I mean, we just were up there and we right. were like, you know, have you ever heard of rock climbing? And I'll never forget one of our girls who is a dear friend of mine, Marjana. She's now a junior in college. Um, I think she was a senior at, at the time. Um, and she's from Bangladesh and her and her best friends, Marwa and Tamina were there and they were like, what is this rock climbing you speak of? <laughs> like, they just had no idea, you know, like she had come here from Bangladesh when she was 10 and had only known the Bronx. Um, mm-hmm. but she had had this incredible relationship with nature back in, back in Bangladesh. And so like she, when we were, we showed photos, you know, we like did like a slideshow and we're like, this is, you know, this is the gym, but like you can climb outside and. And it was just like, what, what is this? Like, I want to experience this. Um, so I think our pitch, I think like rock climbing pitches itself, right? Especially right, with right, kids. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you're like, cool. what? I get to like climb up walls and, you know, like look like a badass. Um, <laughs> so there was just a lot of interest. And, mm-hmm. um, and we continued the program with these, the small group um, in the cliffs. And the cliffs was, you know, kind enough to give our girls memberships. And then we decided that we wanted to culminate the year with an outdoor trip to the Gunks. And so um, we worked with a a good friend of mine, Doug Ferguson. He runs a business called Mountain Skills Climbing Guides here. And and we reached out to Doug and he was like, yeah, yeah, sure. And so we got the girls out and like two of the girls at Marjana and and Litzy um, that I'm both super close with. I'll never forget Litzy you know, climbing up and she, she got to a ledge and there were blueberries on the ledge and she was like, are these blueberries? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah. And she's like, can I, can I eat these? And 
like she just had this moment where she was like, you know, taken in the view, just eating blueberries and, um, and they were just like, they got to repel for the first time. They got to see like on top of the white cliffs of the gunks looking out the Hudson Valley. And it was just such a transformative experience for them. Mm. Um, and then we just continued to grow the program so that the following year we worked with three additional schools. And then this year for the first time, we made it like an open application um, for any New York City public school girl or gender nonconforming um, youth. And so, yeah, it's just grown to be this pretty, pretty amazing community. Um, and we've gotten a lot of support from the climbing community, a lot of support. Um, so, yeah, that's that's Young Women Crush in a nutshell. That sounds awesome. I mean, you know, it's like, I think it's hard to fathom, you know, as someone I live out here in the West, you know, so many climbers are so, they come from outdoorsy backgrounds, yeah. you know, like, oh, we, as a family, we hiked or whatever. And um, just to understand how sort of unfamiliar with nature and with outdoor spaces, as we understand yeah. them, you know, not, not yeah. Central Park or not you know, a green space in the middle of a city, but in, you know, an outdoor space as we understand them yeah. is uh, it's, it's hard to fathom that, that, you know, kids that are 15, 16 years old have um, like no experience even walking on uneven ground. Absolutely. You know, you know it's like, and you're just like, what? And like, no, they don't. There's, it's, you know, they live in a city and that's where they live, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know, for it's not a in lot their family's of- background to go out into the, into nature or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for so many of our girls, it's the only time that they get outside to experience the outdoors. I and mean, we went camping for the first time last year and that was just incredible and hilarious in so many ways. But, but yeah, everything from like seeing millipedes to seeing spiders to like, oh, there's fruit that grows here that I can eat to touching rock. I mean, there's, there's so many, um, new experiences and challenges and and things that can be really scary for them to overcome. But there's also like, you know, a lot of our kids are, um, a lot of our kids are immigrants and, you know, we, we climb with a group of girls from Nepal and like, it's been this really amazing way for them to like reconnect with their experiences in nature as younger children before coming to New York city. So whether it was in the Dominican Republic or in Nepal or Bangladesh or wherever they were from, like, those are often where they had, they were running around barefoot, like they were kids and they weren't living in, you know, New York city and in their apartments. And especially now with, with COVID and so many of our kids, you know, live in neighborhoods that were like the epicenter of this pandemic in New York city and just literally didn't leave their apartments for two months because people were just dying around them. Um, And so especially now, like we, we did two trips to the gunks and, and there were just a couple moments where like they would, they would top out and they'd be hanging out and they're just like, I'm going to remember this because I'm going back to my apartment and like this view is so spectacular. So yeah, I mean, we all know what climbing does for us, right? Like, and, and just take that and then amplify it, you know, times a hundred in terms of, you know, being out in nature as a, as a city kid. So yeah, it's it's a really it's it's a powerful program and and we have ambitions of, you know, getting we want to get the girls out west. We want to take them like either to Smith Rock or, or Red Rock and just kind of continue to to evolve as much as we can. Yeah, that'd be incredible. What an incredible trip that would be right? to to get them that far away from home. Yeah. I mean, because that's the other thing about city kids is that, you know, it's like 
they get their neighborhoods kind of their whole world, you know, other than what, what, you know, on the internet and, 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 uh, and on television or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, it's like your whole world is these several blocks, you know, your school's there, your house is there, the parks are there. And yeah. Um, yeah. To expand out into the world would be incredible. And it's cool. You, you know, you're talking about going camping and, you know, I just, I always think of like camping as this sort of, byproduct of being a climber you know you don't the camping is you know you just need to spend the night because you're going to go climbing tomorrow and yeah you enjoy it and everybody's got their rigs and it's it's kind of a science in its own way but we don't think about it as this like incredible experience that a kid that's never done it might think about it as you know so yeah yeah and it's just taking like all this stuff for granted um is what it comes down to but in our defense it's sort of human to you know to to take all that stuff for granted in a lot of ways, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. We just, we know what we know. We get comfortable with what we know yeah. and, and stepping out of that comfort zone has been, has been huge for them. Um, and it's been, you know, it's been great for them too, to like step into, you know, especially now with black lives matter and like this recognition, rec- recognition of the need to like create more inclusive communities in the outdoors um, and increase access to youth and to people who generally have not had access to a lot of these spaces that are so incredibly like amazing, but super privileged because climbing is expensive and traveling to crags can be expensive. And, you know, there's like the dirtbag lifestyle, but like, there's also like, you know, having a membership at a climbing gym is expensive, mm-hmm. you know, all of these things add up. So like for our girls too, there's a lot of like, they see this as like them being advocates for diversifying climbing and for like seeing girls climbing in hijabs at the gunks is like not a common sight. Right. And so, yeah, that was really interesting in the video. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That, that you sent, which I'll post with the, with, uh, with this episode, people should check out. But yeah, that, that was like, Oh yeah. You know, that's, that's how it has to be done. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and I've never seen that in, in the wild, so to speak. Right. Um, yeah, it was super cool. Yeah, so there's a lot of climbers up here, especially they're like, oh, whoa, it's it's really cool to see like this, you know, degree of like cultural diversity happening mm-hmm. here. Um, yeah, she had a little helmet on top of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, she, yeah, I, she's actually like working right now with. Um, I don't know if I should be saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, she's working with outdoor research right now on like developing like a women's climbing hijab. Like, oh, so sick. that it's, yeah. So like, this is like, these are the places you go, right? Like right. people representation matters for that reason, because you know, when people start seeing other people that don't look like them, like that's where they find their empathy and they find their curiosity and mm-hmm. like climbing evolves to like meet the needs of climbers who aren't traditionally represented. So mm-hmm it's been really cool for them to like step up into that space. And, you know, they like run the Instagram and throughout COVID, like we had virtual meetings and they were like, they were out on the streets protesting. And then like, we were like talking about climbing. So it was just like a really cool way to synthesize advocacy and rock climbing. It sounds like you had this mission where you're like, I love rock climbing. And I think it would be great to show these, these girls, these women um, as they grew up rock climbing but then it sounds like you probably didn't even understand the depth of which the the different ways in which it would change their lives and different ways it would also like surprise you. You know, it's yeah. one thing to be like, oh, I think they'll just really like climbing and we right. should take some girls climbing. And then you're onto this like, you know, this 
climbing this cultural mountain. It's like, it yeah. sounds like it blossomed into something where you're probably like laying awake at night going like, holy shit, that happened today too, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, you're a dad though. So like you get it, right? Like, you know what it's like to work with kids and just to have your mind blown open by their wisdom and insights. And like, mm -hmm. I mean, as they get older, you know, yeah. I mean, it's the same thing. Like working with, working with kids has always been for me. I, I just learned so much from them. Um, and especially now working with high school students, um, who are just developmentally in such a fascinating place. And, um, but yeah, they're making all of these discoveries and they're running with things, you know, they're taking climbing now and bringing it to their, like they're joining climbing teams at their local colleges and they're like bringing, you know, what they've learned through young women who crush into the climbing community. They're like connect, like they just, yeah, they just run with it. They just run right. with it. And uh, it's beautiful. It's it's really beautiful to watch. Um, and that's that's what I love about working with kids because they just like keep you humble and they just keep you constantly checking yourself and your own ideas of like what it means to be an adult and like have your shit together. And, like, you know, they I try just... to remember that whole thing when I'm fighting with Miles to go to bed tonight. I'm like, I should be gaining wisdom from this, but really, I just want you to go the fuck to sleep. But there's something to be learned here. Right. Alexis told me I should be listening. <laughs> it's 10 o'clock. Uh, I'm still listening yeah. to you not yeah. going to bed. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's been uh it's been it's been wonderful. It really it's it's the thing that like brings me the most fulfillment in climbing for sure. Okay, what we um <laughs> we are that that that's uh like I said it seems to be sort of a at least at the moment um a piece of the puzzle that needed to be placed in there, you know, when I was talking about how the the evolution kind of happened. But let's talk a little bit anyway about you and your climbing. Sure, yeah. Um, your personal, because you mentioned it is an egotistical sport and, um, you know, you, you have to have motivations because it can be an uncomfortable sport, if you want to call it a sport. I mean, mm -hmm. it can be uncomfortable that it actually physically hurts you. Mm -hmm. um, it also is uncomfortable in that you're forcing yourself into situations where you're scared and all those sorts of things. So, what, what, um, like, what does your personal climbing look like? You sound like you're... You know, you're a gunky and, and therefore a trad climber. Yeah. Um, but like, what are your personal goals like in terms of, of how you approach climbing and, and what you enjoy and what, what you want to get out of it um, for sure. yourself? Yeah, I am. I am definitely a gunks climber. I am definitely, um, I'm a trad climber. I, I started as a gym climber and then as a sport climber. Um, and I, We'll never forget I was leaving Red Rock one time after like a sport climbing trip there and was driving around the loop road and I was looking out at like like Cat in the Hat and Birdland and like that Pine Creek area and I was just looking at all those summits and the sun was setting and the rock was just exploding in that beautiful orange way that it does there and I was like, I want to go climb that stuff and I'm not going to be able to climb it as a sport climber. Um, because I'm, I'm not a super strong climber. And for me, like sport was going to be just, I don't know. I just, I, I saw it as limiting at that point. And I wanted for me, climbing was less about like, how hard can I climb and like, how big can the adventure be? Um, and what amazing things can I see? So I, I came back to the gunks and I through a series of like weird serendipitous events was able to meet some mentors some other women like this like older crew of 
lady crushers and the gunks that have been climbing there for, you know, 30, 40 years, some of them. And so they were kind enough to kind of mentor me and and help me out. And I, you know, I, I was definitely like one of those trad leaders. I worked my way through the grades. I mean, I started with like gunks five, three, um, and just made my way up. And for me, that's always just kind of been like a mental, physical progression that has worked for me. And that's why I love the gunks because you can have epic adventures on a five, five Mm -hmm. and it feels like real climbing. And so I am, you know, now like just breaking into 510 at the gunks which for me personally has been this thing that i never thought i would achieve i just like 510 was just always the like the grade that i would never access as a trad climber and so that's like just now this season feeling possible for me which is really exciting and i think i've had this like mental switch where i've as long as i know my gear is good and from the most most of the time my gear is good um, and so now that I trust my gear placements, I'm willing to go for shit and fall. And like, as long as it's G and I'm like feeling pretty comfortable, I've been going for things in a way this just this past, like since, you know, since quarantine ended in a way that I haven't been, which is exciting and feels really good. But um, yeah, and I, I owe a lot of that to my fiance, my partner, Chris Voltaggio, who I been a huge mentor and influencer and and he's the first person like really since i started climbing that climbs way harder than me um so being able to consistently climb with somebody who's better than you um has been huge for me it's right been infuriating don't get me wrong at times but uh <laughs> it's made a, me a yeah, much better a careful, climber that's a careful relationship to have yeah I think at yeah. times, but yeah. Well, pretty soon, you guys, the COVID thing will be over, and you'll go back on tour and get weak again. Yeah, so exactly. You'll be yeah, and exactly. then you'll be hosed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I might so, as well get strong now while I'm yeah, not exactly. working. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, well, that's awesome. I mean, it, it's you know, it it's it's awesome to give yourself, you know, over to these these causes and and this this thing the the young women who crush. But I think to stay motivated in climbing, you still have to have your own goals. You know, yeah, you can't absolutely. be. And, and I, I say that from someone who's known a lot of burnt out guides. Yeah. You know, because all they do is do stuff for other people. Yeah, and, um, definitely. So you got to, you know, back to this balance thing that we keep coming back to or I keep coming back to. Um, that That's a big part of it. So let's uh, talk a little bit about um, music then. Yeah. Um, you know, mentioning how like touring is the thing. Um, over the last decade as the music industry changed and you guys are not able to tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does music look like for you right now and for Sleigh Bells? Yeah. So right before, um, right before everything shut down, we were like just finishing our newest album. So we were supposed to, we were actually mixing in California um, with Andrew Dawson, who's a great friend and an engineer that we've worked with for a long time. And so, we we were working and we our last day was friday and uh we took a trip chris and i took a trip to joshua tree and we climbed saturday sunday and then sunday night was like the day when like the world just felt like everything was like okay we're headed towards a complete and total immobilization and and so sunday night we were like at a del taco outside of joshua tree um, and we had to, we had to, uh, decide that we were going to cancel slash postpone our wedding and decide that we were going to fly home from mixing our album. 
Um, so we flew home, we, we, we cut mixing short and, and came home. And then we were just in this weird holding pattern of like, okay, well, when can we finish mixing? And it was during that time, my bandmates really great about just like, keep, he was like, we just, we're going to keep writing. And so, mm-hmm. you know, he kept sending me tracks and fortunately he lives not far from me up in Kingston. So I was going to his place and we just kept recording and writing. Um, then we got things in a place where we were able to like fly back out to Arizona to finish mixing with our, our engineer. And so we did that back in June and now honestly, it's just kind of like, we're just planning for when we can actually make videos. Like when can we get a crew together to just do things and start properly supporting the music? Um, and hopefully we want to release, you know, we're being told like we can't even think about playing shows until like July of 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems to be the consensus amongst booking agents and, you know, whomever that like, that's when venues are possibly going to be open. Um, so we're just kind of like waiting. We're waiting. Yeah, but imagine the pent up desire. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot that of people it. are going to have for music. I mean, I, I can only imagine, you know, if there is some sort of like def- definitive green light but i can't you know it might just sort of you know dribble into which wouldn't be as good but there's some sort of definitive like vaccine green light or something like yeah. that it's just going to explode and so like yeah. being being sort of like poised for that uh, you know could be pretty wild actually exactly yeah i mean and, and so we're ready like we're ready we have new music <laughs> we have like it's just like you, you got your said, straightener just, warmed up yeah. your, your hair straightener is like already plugged in <laughs> i gotta like dye my hair get rid of all these grays and straighten my hair take off my like dirty climbing pants yeah um yeah for sure yeah so i you know we're just we're just waiting and you know admittedly like we're not the best band as far like when it comes to engaging on social media and like mm-hmm. doing sessions and a lot of the times like our music isn't the most conducive to a stripped down thing so and because we like don't want to debut new music in that way like we want to give it a proper introduction to the world um you know we haven't like been super active in terms of like live streaming stuff and mm-hmm. but i think that's that's an edge for us like that's a space that we don't love and so I think we're going to have to step into it. Right. Right. Or else we're just going to not be able to engage because who knows how long it's going to go on. But sure. But I will say that like, this is my most favorite album that we've made. (laughs) I unfortunately can't say when it's going to come out or how or, but it's my favorite. I think it's, um, we're both proud of it. So it's going to be real fucking fun to play live whenever that day comes. (laughs) Well, awesome, Alexis. Thanks so much for uh, for joining me in the Enormous Cast. Yeah, um, you're welcome. It did it did happen through Chris. He actually emailed me several years ago, and you know, I just kind of. And when you mentioned that you were in Carbondale, I remembered that now that because I was here, and I actually uh, I tend I sometimes help out with with actually PA work for for the No Man's Land Film Festival. Yeah. Um, and probably did for something on that as well, but. Uh, yeah, and, and and so I'm really glad that it, that it happened, and that the, the one silver lining of the pandemic, of of a few actually, I'm going to admit there's you know I, I'm glad that people don't get in my space anymore, um, just in general. But um, 
yeah, you know, is that I've been doing these things remote. And so I've been able to connect with people that are in New York, like you are. And yeah. um, instead of some future possible trip to the, the gunks that I might possibly take, you know. And then the other thing is when I go on these climbing vacations and I spend, you know, every night like chasing somebody down to do an interview. So they're not always fun vacations. Yeah. So um, yeah. if I do go to the gunks, we can hang out and yes. not do an interview. It would be more fun than than maybe doing this. So yes, um, when you're ready, come out, we'll climb. And uh, and next time we're in Colorado, maybe it'll be at the belly up and we can oh, that'd be get sick. a beer. And- <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> It gets to come in early, maybe get some curry. Yeah, um, seriously. But but uh, let me ask you this as the last thing. Um, if people want to support uh, young women who crush, what what do they have to do? Where do they have to go? Yeah. Um, so you can check out our Instagram, um, which is Instagram.com slash young women who crush. Um, mm-hmm. We have a link in our bio about how to donate. And Okay, um, cool. Yeah, so there's there's a link there, and uh, that'll that'll stay updated um, in terms of the, our different fundraising campaigns. Um, and if you're in the tri-state New York City area and you want to potentially mentor or donate some shoes or whatever, um, you can always message us on Instagram. That's that's the best way. And then there is also a contact page um, on the cliffs. So, but I can, I'll, I'll share that information with you. Cool. Yeah. I'll just put it with the post. No one, you know, I don't know how many people look at the post, but yeah. either way, if you want to support, um, you know, this thing that, uh, you know, is this fundamental part of what we've been talking to with the Black Lives Matter thing is, is, is just introducing, you know, these, in this case, young women of sort of diverse racial backgrounds to, to climbing. And like you said, to, to have us go to the cliff and, and, you know, see people that look like them is probably a really inspirational thing and what needs to happen in climbing at this point. So this is a direct conduit to doing that. No talking about it. They're actually doing it, which is true. They're they're doing it. They're doing it. And it's been really great to see like outdoor companies step up to, you know, like we work with evolve and, and cliff bar and, and it's just like, it's rad to see like, the climbing community be like, Oh yeah, this isn't just like a problem that we don't have to engage with. Like this impacts us as climbers as well. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's rad. Well, you just have to give them, I mean, to be honest with you in this climate right now, everybody's, you know, they're spinning their wheels a little bit, Mm -hmm. but give them opportunities where again, someone like you is actually doing something not just posting, but doing yeah. is, uh, you know, give them an opportunity. And the, and I think most people will jump at it. So, um, yeah. So check it out. Young women who crush on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. And, no. Uh, and I encourage like, if there are other people out there like, Oh, how do I start this? Like start it. Right. Like it's tricky now with COVID for sure, mm-hmm, but like mm-hmm. create that space. If you have the resources, if you have the knowledge, if you're a guide, or even if you're not, if you're just somebody who loves climbing and you want to share it, like, reach out to a local gym, reach out to some local public schools. I mean, kids need it now more than ever. And fortunately, the outdoors is a space where like we still can educate and we still can engage because right mm-hmm. now it's our, you know, ironically like our safest space. It's not that intimidating of a thing to start. Um, and yeah, <laughs> do it. All right, Alexis, thanks so much. <laughs> You're so welcome. Thank you.
Riot Rhythm is off of Treats, which is our first album. But to me, that's like, that's the track that I feel like most crosses or intersects with climbing just gets you stoked. It gets you stoked to like either climb or run or bike. And it's actually Kathy used it this year for the trailer for No Man's Land. If I had to think about sleigh bells in relation to climbing, that would be the song. 